Howdy and welcome to another BP supplemental episode. I don't know if we still call them BP supplement. I'm off track right away. We can't get off track. <laughs> yeah, I'm got David it. Bax. I'm Tyler Smith. And we are here to talk Sundance with our dedicated, uh, bo- I mean both dedicated in the, sen- in the sense that we have dedicated him in this role and that he is very serious about his <laughs> tasks, our dedicated Sundance correspondent, Matt Warren. Hey guys, thanks for having me back. Thanks for being back. Thanks for going back to Park City this year. Always a pleasure. So, um, we 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 do have a hard out today. So yeah, we've got to we've got to get to a ceremony, to a, a big ceremony tonight. So we and we've <laughs> right. all got to be there. And I still got to pick up my tux. Yeah. Um, it feels like we should have done that before. It's going to yeah, take I, two or three hours of makeup for I, each one of you. Yeah, I have a, <laughs> an appointment at the in, salon for an yeah. updo. You're going to be wearing an updo. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for hitting it again. All right. All right. Um, so let's just get started with the films you saw. Um, well, real quick, was this a good Sundance for you? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're always a good Sundance for me. Uh, I, I always have a good time. But I, I always I always debate doing Sundance differently, and for the past couple of years, I've done a thing where I've kind of gone for the back half of the festival when things are kind of winding down. So right. it is sort of like a weird energy for me when, like, when you get off the plane and go up to Park City, and everyone's already out of gas and like winding uh-huh. down, and like your jazz kind of like start your start your yeah. festival. So I, I, I don't know I, that was kind of wearing on me a little bit this year because I was like excited but i could tell the volunteers and like the journalists who'd been there for five or six days already were just right. like dragging themselves across the finish line so, <laughs> so but at this point you know what's like been playing well and what's gotten good buzz for as far as like the later screenings yeah um and that would be helpful but i usually uh, this year i bought my tickets like a well like well ahead of oh, okay. time so i already had my schedule locked in before before the early word was in on what was what was good, what was bad, what was worth checking out, so that didn't really impact anything. But it sounds like you did pretty well anyway. Yeah, I I, I saw twelve this year, which is three more than I did last year. All right, um, packed it in, was able to write about things in a pretty prompt manner, get things turned around. Thank you for that. You're welcome. Uh, well written too. Um, yes, they were. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, you said you saw twelve films. Let's get started. What was the what was the first one? So the first thing I saw was uh, called Tangerine, which was part of the the next competition uh, or uh, the next category, which is sort of this uh, separate competition that Sundance created within itself to sort of get back to its like actually independent film right. roots, you know, instead of being these big premieres that are often backed by like mini majors and, and things like that. It's sort of... Uh, it's sort of smaller films, a lot of like low budgets, unknown actors, digital cinematography. So this was from that. And uh, like I said, it was called Tangerine. And the story, it's sort of like one of those L.A. tapestry stories that kind of like unfolds over a day. And it uh, I'm already it, sold. It, yeah. No, it's a, it's a great L.A. movie. And it, it actually takes place on Christmas Eve, although they don't. They don't really hit the holiday aspect of it too hard. Hmm. Um, but it's basically about these two uh, sort of transgender prostitutes uh, from San Monaco Boulevard. And over breakfast on the morning of Christmas Eve, like one, like let's slip to the other one that um, her boyfriend and pimp has been messing around uh, on her with like a, like a, you know, a cisgender woman. Uh-huh. And so she kind of goes off on this like, 
you know, almost screwball comedy esque quest across the city to like find find this dude who's played by uh, James Ransom from season two of The Wire, Ziggy. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. oh okay. He, uh, uh, yeah, also from Generation Kill. Mm-hmm. He was yeah. in like Sinister too. I didn't see uh, that. It was good, uh, and it's a it's a it's a really fun movie. Uh, it it's it's sort of not quite lighthearted, but it doesn't. Uh, you know, it takes place in this sort of like grimy milieu that, uh, of these world of like these street walkers and that sort of dirty area kind of south of Hollywood before you get to downtown. Do they uh, actually shoot at the donut shop at <laughs> Santa Monica and Highland where all those prostitutes hang <laughs> I out? I think so. Is it called, is it that donut time? Donut time. Yeah. yeah donut time is donut time is like a central location. And that this. is, cause I used to work right up the street from there. That really <laughs> is like a, a hangout for yeah, that. So, and and it used to be the Del Taco across the street too, but now it's a fucking Walgreens. <laughs> I miss that Del Taco. <laughs> I miss that Del Taco. All right. Um, what's next? Um, the next one. Oh, and I should say the other thing about Tangerine. The other kind of hook there was that this was the movie that was filmed entirely on like iPhone five S's. Oh, that's oh, right. Wow. With okay. like anamorphic lenses, and I'm sure they didn't record sound off of them. I'm sure they had a separate sound recording unit, but. Um, but that that does, was sort of the hook. Does it look good? I mean, does it? I mean, of course, yeah, it it's not going to look amazing. But I mean, it's. Let me. I feel bad asking it this way. This way, it looks like a real film. <laughs> yeah, it absolutely looks like okay. a real film, and it's you know, it's the kind of thing where you would never know unless unless someone told you. And I mean, I I feel like we're even maybe even past the point by a couple of years where it's even a novelty that a mm. feature film was shot on an iPhone. It's yeah. like seems like yeah of course he could of course he could shoot a feature feature film on an iphone um so uh the next one i saw i'm trying to remember what i saw in order i'm gonna i'm gonna pull up the uh the post that would be helpful yeah um but it's gonna take a second and while you guys are looking it up you know i'm just gonna vamp (laughs) listeners how are you doing today you know we never we talk about us we never we never hear Kids, you know who the f- <laughs> um, look, I'm not like your parents, okay? I get you, I understand. Not you know, life is hard when you're a college freshman, you know. Are you activating like a terror cell right now? <laughs> <laughs> I am, I'm kind of uh, tapping into that character from Syriana and just bringing them in, being like, nobody really understands you, so you know what, just don't talk to them anymore. If you've got something to say, you talk to me. All right. Thank you for that. You're that, welcome. That was fun. Um, <laughs> let's move on to a film directed by a friend of the show, uh, Rodney Asher's The Nightmare. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, you know, not to not to big dick or brag, but I was in the very first audience ever for Room Two Thirty Seven when that premiered at Sundance a couple of years ago, and it immediately like grabbed me and captivated me, and I was I was all in on that movie from the mm-hmm. beginning. Um, the nightmare it's it's no room 237 i wouldn't say but it it's this sort of uh but the thing i thought was great about it is that uh rodney sort of like and you can kind of see this if you go back and look at his short films like the yes from hell and what was that thing with josh fadem that was that other other film uh, video uh, yeah yeah oh shoot i don't remember but uh uh, like that's yeah yeah, yeah I, th- oh, man. I think so I think, scary. I think th- those two pluses two sort of feature documentaries are like all the Rodney Asher things I've seen I don't even know if there are more beyond that but 
There's uh, a bunch, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's done okay. a bunch of stuff. Yeah, it's it's clear that you know he he has his own like tone and his own like style that he's sort of uh, eking out and and uh, and is in establishing. And this is this this is sort of a feature length documentary that has a ton of reenactments in it. That's definitely definitely in his voice and mm-hmm. um, what it's about. Uh, is about the phenomenon of sleep paralysis, which mm. I guess I've I've heard a little bit about, uh, but I, I'm not I've never had it myself, and I don't know much about it. But um, and this is maybe a fault of the documentary is that it doesn't really go that deep into explaining what it is from like a physiological point of view, mm-hmm. or the, it, it, you know, it's it's a movie that kind of just intercuts these interviews with uh, I think like six or seven different sufferers of this condition and um, has them sort of describe the sorts of nightmares that they have when they're in the grips of this and like what their symptoms are. And then Asher kind of just spends a lot of time, uh, you know, re you know, reenacting like these nightmare symptoms. So basically it's, it's, you know, to me it almost felt like a little bit of almost, and this is maybe like a little cynical, but like a like a demo reel. If hmm. if Rodney Asher is trying to like get you know studio horror directing jobs, it's like here's like fifteen or twenty different sort of horror hmm. you know suspense scenarios. Let me let me show you how well I can execute them from a directorial perspective. So I thought uh, as far as like an exploration of this this condition or these symptoms, it was, you know, it didn't, it didn't go real deep and that's, that's fine. But the, the stuff that it was in there was a, was a touch repetitive because a lot of these symptoms are similar, but I wouldn't say it's uh, you know, I wouldn't say that it's his masterpiece, but it's like, it's a good, it's a good sort of next project for Rodney Asher between room 237 and whatever like amazing thing he does next. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, the next film that I want to ask you about is something that I'm actually very excited about. Uh, it's a director that I love, and Kino Lorber just picked up the U.S. rights to it uh, a couple of days ago, and it's Guy Madden's The Forbidden Room. Yeah, this was probably my favorite non-documentary um, of the festival, and I'd actually never seen a, a Guy Madden film before hmm. in its entirety, so I, I don't know if, how representative this is of the other stuff that he does, but... Um, it was like a whirlwind. It's like this two hour and 15 minute sort of fever dream, psychedelic, you know, chopped and screwed movie yeah. where no shot. Like I, I'd be surprised if there was a shot in the movie, if, if there was any shot in the movie that lasted more than like five or six seconds. Uh, it's, I would say that is not representative <laughs> of his okay. work. Well, it depends yeah. on what you're, uh, he's done that sort of thing before. Well, let me say, but I mean, if it like, you're, I know you're talking about like, like careful or whatever, careful, which is a much slower yeah. and thing. Then Ar- Archangel, Ice. I've never seen that one. Actually. Okay, I saw. I, I might not have seen the whole thing. Twilight of the Ice Nymphs, right. saddest music in the world, which um, is also the most conventional of his movies. Yeah, I mean, if someone <laughs> hadn't seen a movie at all and saw saddest music in the world, they'd be like, "This is conventional." But yeah. that's definitely the most conventional. But some of his stuff, like Cowards Bend the Knee, is pretty mm-hmm. um, uh, er- erratic and schizophrenic seeming. I guess that's true. Um, I would also recommend people see the uh, the Dracula one he did, Dracula Pages from a Virgin's Diary. That's right, uh, yeah. which I never saw. Yeah, this is the odd thing because I've I've been interested in this guy for forever, but I've like 
I had assumed he was one of my favorite directors, but then when I looked at his filmography, I'm like, oh, I haven't seen any of these. <laughs> I just know about him through cultural osmosis, but the the Forbidden Room, man, it was like, it was an experience because like I said, it's so dense and so sort of fast paced and really difficult to describe uh, in as far as what it's about goes, but it like, like a good reference point almost would be like, um, cloud Atlas. Mm-hmm. Cause mm. it kind of starts with this one story and then kind of moves into smaller stories, like a Russian nesting doll mm-hmm. from there. Like, uh, the sort of macro story is about these sort of doomed sailors on this submarine that's full of this explosive material that's about to blow up. And then within that, they find uh, like a stowaway who's a woodsman who has his own story, who starts telling his own story about this quest he went on. And then within that, there's a character who's dreaming about this other thing. But it's not. But even though, um, you know, like Cloud Atlas was a lot was a lot more sort of tight in its structure like this, the Forbidden Room one, it goes so fast through all of these, and there's so many of them. They're probably like 20 or 30 different storylines, wow. you know, maybe even more. Um, uh, you know, in different, like, just sort of references to different sort of filmic styles and genres and, you know, shot in sort of different pastiche, uh, pastiche reference, references to, you know, different eras and uh, schools of filmmaking. Uh, but it kind of will jump back and forth like between all these stories. Like it won't go step by step all the right. way into one and then step by step out. It'll kind of, once it establishes a story, it'll just cut back to cut back to one of these other stories just at random. I meant to ask, and maybe this is something that we can incorporate into more films as you talk about them. Uh, mm-hmm. what, is the situa- what is the distribution situation for any of these? Well, I just said... About this one, Kino Lober just picked it up, right. for US. So, that, so it is, didn't, is that it be... didn't have US distribution when it premiered at Sundance. Okay, you know, so it, is it gonna? So, so it it hasn't had any kind of theatrical distribution here. Uh, no, I'm, I'm, but Kino Lober has theatrical a theatrical oh. wing as well. Good for them. <laughs> I, I I so think of them only as like a DVD Blu-ray company that I right. never it never occurs to me. But I do realize that I oh yeah I've seen that logo at the beginning of movies <laughs> I've seen in the theater yeah um, but yeah what about uh, the other films that we've the other one oh, uh, well Tanger- Tangerine um, I don't know that one's executive produced by Jay and Mark Duplass so okay. I'm sure it'll okay. get something at some point with the point. star power of Jay what's his name <laughs> James Ransom James Ransom Ziggy from the like, Wire that's gonna pack him in yeah the, all those uh, like uh, Stevedore heads from season two <laughs> the Wire. <laughs> Um, um, but I, I think we talked a little bit about this last year, but like, even though that's a big part of the Sundance conversation every year, I, mm-hmm. I personally never really pay attention to okay. what's going on. Sometimes you've seen a movie when you like, cause this has happened to me a couple of times at like the LA film fest. Mm-hmm. We'll see a movie and be like, I love this. I can't wait for people to see it. And then a year and a half goes by and people still haven't seen it. And you yeah. feel like you're just shouting into the void. Yeah. I mean, that uh, definitely that, happens. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we should we should start a podcast called Shouting Into the Void. Although I guess we did. It's <laughs> yeah. called Battleship. <laughs> exactly. Um, all right. Let's move on to, uh, I guess, I guess the second horror movie of many. Uh, you, you saw a lot of horror films, it sounds like. Yeah. I mean, I always do in general. Right. So 
Um, the so witch. answer is no different. Yeah, this is one. This is one people liked a lot, and I think I actually do know the story here. I think it was. What what is that company? A twenty four or, yeah, yeah, or yeah. something? They've been doing a lot of good stuff lately. Yeah, yep. I think they picked this one up for distribution. Um, this one, this one was. Uh, this is just like a really good solid period horror movie um, about this uh, family who is sort of uh, too extreme, even by you know pre revolutionary hmm. American Puritan standards and sort of is half half externally exiled and half like self-exiled to this sort of small kind of unsuccessful farm that they've set up on the outside of whatever whatever settlement they're at and um just bad bad shit happens happens from there uh kind of kicks off when and I would say the two the two main characters in this are the the father and then the eldest daughter and I, I can't remember the actors names who played either of those characters right now but um those are kind of the two the two kind of poles in this movie and things really kick off when this the eldest daughter has the the baby of the family kind of out in this field playing with it and um and just kind of closes her eyes for a second and the baby disappears and hmm. then I, I really liked how the film didn't make that a mystery for too long. I think like one scene later, you see what's actually happening with this baby and it's pretty, pretty horrific. And it also kind of establishes that the supernatural threat in this world is, is real. Hmm. Um, so it, it's established pretty early on that this is, this isn't one of those movies where it kind of teases back and forth. Like, is this right. in their heads? Are they imagining right. this? Are they just going paranoid? It, it kind of is confident in its story enough to to stake out stake out that uh, you know there is there is basically a witch in these woods and it's gonna it's gonna try to um, get you get get this family yeah sort of invade this family in 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 um, in you know some really some really spooky ways and it it was it's a really really solid really well done horror movie I think the the filmmaker, his name, he comes out of production design. Hmm. He was a production designer first, and I'm not sure what he had worked on uh, before that. But uh, it's he, you know, because like I said, I get to the the festival late typically, and mm-hmm. usually all the filmmakers have gone home mm-hmm. by the time I get there. But he was actually there, and he spent a lot of time when he was introducing the film, um, talking about how just sort of like historically historically accurate all the tunics and like you know you know bindles tied with twine were you know and all that to the sort of 16th century setting and i I, you know i was kind of like okay whatever (laughs) 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 like that's that's not important to me but it was it was important to this guy obviously and it um and it showed and his name is robert eggers okay so it's the director of that but yeah that was that was the second of maybe three horror movies I saw when I was out there. Um, I, 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 I want to move on to a film that I'm very interested in called I Am Michael. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is that about? I mean, I know, but I'm asking for the <laughs> listeners. Well, I Am Michael, I, it seemed, it, you know, I, so I've heard real mixed things about it from other people who had seen it at, at Sundance. Um, 
but I thought I was really surprised by it. I thought it was really great. Um, and it's based on a true story and it's about, uh, James Franco plays this, this guy, Michael, uh, who in the nineties is sort of this, uh, you know, out and proud gay activist living in San Francisco, working at like a gay newspaper, very, very involved with, with you know gay rights all across the board. And he move, he follows his boyfriend, um, played by Zachary Quinto, who's one of the producers of this. Uh, uh, the, that couple moves to Canada, and then once once uh, they're in Canada, the Michael character is sort of sort of adrift in the world and, you know, kind of feeling like he's lost his sense of self and sense of purpose a little, a little bit and starts sort of questing around and, uh, very, very, and this is very sort of methodical and well plotted out in the movie. Um, they do a really nice job of it. I think, uh, at the screenplay level is he sort of undergoes this sort of religious conversion and becomes this uh, sort of born-again Christian. And then from there, he sort of uh, renounces his homosexuality and uh, starts going to Bible school in Wyoming and studying to become like a pastor and a preacher. And it's a lot of time in indie movies, especially ones with sort of a social issue at their core or ones that... You know, I feel like there's a lot of like lip service in indie movies sometimes to you know acknowledging both sides mm-hmm. of a of a situation, and it makes me roll my eyes a lot yeah. sometimes. But I think the way they did it here was like very fair, and it seemed it seemed genuine, and it really worked for me in this one. Cause, you know, it doesn't it doesn't judge either side of this equation, which is good. And the the filmmaker and is gay, and it was an executive producer was like Gus Van Sant. So, no. so you, you kind of like can infer f- from there where where their in- intentions are. But apparently, they showed it to this the the actual Michael who no. it's based on, and he 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 apparently, I mean, according to the filmmaker, like loved it and thought it was a very fair and and, and accurate uh, kind of depiction of his journey. Yeah, Sounds I'm, great. I'm intrigued and I like it's weird when I first heard as I'm sure you can imagine when I first heard about the movie and I saw who all was behind it. I was just like, uh, I feel it, I'm sure it'll be interesting, um, but I feel like, like you said, it'll probably wind up being kind of condemning of the main character and that sort of thing. And, uh, no, and no, yet every no. review I've read, even the ones that aren't thrilled with the film, say that. In some cases, the reason they're not thrilled with it is because it's not as condemning of the main character's actions and attitudes as as they would like it to be. Yeah, no, I I, I, th- I thought it was great, and the the filmmaker is Justin Kelly. Okay. Did he direct from Justin to Kelly? <laughs> 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 and with that, let's move on. Let's move on to Cronies, another film that I'm uh, very interested in because of its uh, setting, location. Yeah, I fig- I figure that would that would stand out to you. So this does it take place in St. Louis? Yes. It does take place in St. Louis, right. so, sort of like in the lower class, like, uh, I don't know, black suburbs, I, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, yeah, I mean, th- this this movie was fine. I'd, I'd put it, like, close close to the bottom in terms of the stuff that I saw this year. Um, just, just in that it's the kind of movie I feel like I've seen a lot 
at Sundance over the years where it's these two sort of um, like lower middle class black 20 somethings um, who have been friends since childhood, but they're sort of, they're sort of growing apart. Uh, One has like a, a wife or at least a girlfriend and a daughter and the other is still, you know, just smoking a lot of weed and like, like rolling around, uh, sort of purposeless. So they're sort of drifting apart. And then, um, the one dude who's the more, more of a family man, uh, has this new friend. Who's this, this white guy who works at the car dealership that he works at, uh, that he also works at. And the film is another like tangerine, sort of another one that sort of unfolds over the course of like one long day and night where, these three kind of just set off on various misadventures around town. And it's, uh, it's very, um, you know, it's very, uh, it's very, um, dazed and confused or, mm-hmm. um, American graffiti. Um, but it's, it's shot in black and white and it looks, it looks good. And, um, and, it you know it has it has this you know this this cool setting of like like outer St Louis. I mean mm-hmm. I, I don't know anything about St Louis, but I, I'm sure you would you would probably like recognize where they're at and stuff. Possibly, I mean if it's uh, unfortunately St Louis can be <coughs> pretty segregated at times, so there yeah. are places that I don't know that yeah. well. Mm, well, I, yeah, I'd be I'd be interested to get your take on it. And you know, there's a little thing that they tack on the ending. Um, that's you know Ferguson related. Uh-huh. That just sort of like a little post credits thing. That it, it's it's obviously kind of they shot the whole thing before all that stuff happened, and this this was kind of like just their nod to it. Um, but you know it was it was uh, it was okay enough. It didn't really stand out for me. Like I said, it's similar to a lot of stuff you see at Sundance um, year in and year out. But uh, but it had good acting from two of the leads and but the third one the 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 guy playing the white guy was was you know maybe like a quarter as capable as the other two so is it's always sort of throws a movie off when the ensemble is uneven like that let's move on to a film uh, i guess the third and final horror film you saw one that's been getting a ton of buzz yeah uh called it follows yeah i i loved this one and i've uh, I mean, I'm a big horror movie guy in general, and since since I, I saw, you know, a lot of people, The Babadook, which was at Sundance last year um, in the Park City at Midnight category, I was a little underwhelmed by that as far as how scared I was supposed to be mm-hmm. while I was watching that, and uh, I always go back to the last the last like horror movie that really knocked my socks off was Ben Wheatley's kill list from mm-hmm, like three mm-hmm. or four years ago. And I felt like I hadn't seen a movie as scary as that to me since then. But then, you know, you know, two nights in a row with the witch and it follows, I felt like we got back to, to that level. So, and I've, I've sort of been debating with myself ever since then, which, which I prefer and, I think I've actually settled on It Follows okay. as my favorite. And what's the story two. of It Follows? It's a it's a really cool premise and that was one of the things I liked best about it was, you know, you think it's it's hard at this point in time to 
sort of invent a new monster or mythology to populate a horror movie. But the premise is that there's, there's this, um, there's this girl in, uh, again, it's like the, like the lower middle-class suburbs outside of Detroit. I think mm-hmm. it looks like, you know, like sort of the white middle-class suburbs outside of Detroit. And there's this, uh, early 20 somethings, uh, girl there who's played by, um, I don't know the actress's name, but she was the, she was the daughter and the guest last year. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Micah Monroe. Yeah. It's like, it like some yeah. Eminem. <laughs> so, uh, sticking with the Detroit theme, but, um, but yeah, so she's, she's the lead and she, the setup is that she is sort of dating this guy and then they have sex and then it's revealed that through sex, he's sort of passed this curse onto her. Where wherein there's this entity that's sort of a shape shifting entity that can appear as as anyone basically um, that is following that it, that is following the person who's carrying this curse. So no matter where you are, uh, there's always this thing in some sort of humanoid form that's walking towards you. Very very oh. sort of steadily and very sort of methodically and uh and you don't want to know what happens if it ever gets to you oh my so, gosh um <laughs> so uh yeah i'm getting chills just kind of thinking about it and thinking how it's sort of depicted in the movie but um what's what's cool about it is that like a lot like um like george romero style slow moving zombies like this thing is it's not difficult to outrun uh, you can you can you know you can just walk backwards like at a slightly faster pace mm-hmm. from it, but it's it's relentless and it's always going to be coming at you, no no matter. So how do you find the time to have sex <laughs> to to pass to this pass curse along? Well, I think it goes into that kind of stuff, and it actually okay. has some interesting stuff about like, uh, you know, if you're an attractive young woman, how easy or difficult this is to pass on versus yeah. if you're. If you're, you know, an older guy or you know mm-hmm. someone who's not mm-hmm. as sexually desirable, but the thing is, if you pass it along, if the the it gets gets who whoever it's after at that point, it'll just start going all the way back down the line of people. Oh, oh, jeez! Oh, so this movie's great. Yeah, so it's <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I haven't seen it. It could be crap, but this is a great premise. No, it's it's a, it's a tremendous premise. Like, it's the kind of premise that's like. That, like that's so brilliant and then the execution is top notch too so uh it was you know people were losing their shit at this yeah. it was like a midnight screening um yeah it was it, it was it was freaking people the fuck out and you know it uh, it was it was a really great horror movie so wow. I, I think it's going to be a big hit i don't know all right let's move on to a film called western yeah, this was a um, a verite documentary um, about uh, about sort of life along the Texas and Mexico border as the cartel violence down there was sort of increasing last year or the year before. I'm not sure exactly when they filmed it, but over the past couple of years, um, and it kind of follows two figures. One is the mayor of the town on the Texas side, and one is sort of a 
not really not really a cattle rancher, but like a cattle broker, like a guy who like brokers deals between people who want to buy or sell cattle. Um, and it, you know, things kind of go south when they put an embargo on bringing cattle across the the border. Uh, and it's all sort of tied up in sort of bigger political things and drug cartels and everything like that. But it's, it's mostly just sort of a slice of life, uh, slice of life thing, observing, observing, um, you know, the, the day-to-day lives of these two people and these these sort of border towns and what happens when uh, stuff increases. I mean, it was well done. It was you know a little dull. I you know I'll admit it, it's not really in my wheelhouse as far as the, the kinds of movies I'm, mm-hmm. I respond to. But um, but it was it was it was good. Um, I'm very excited to talk about this because it has my favorite title of anything you saw. It's called the Beaver Trilogy Part Four. Uh, yep. What's What's the deal with that? Well, this is this is uh, this was probably uh, this was probably my favorite movie of the festival of the ones that I saw overall, and it's a little bit difficult to explain, and it's also interesting because um, the subject of the documentary is actually a family friend of ours um, of my family's. Hmm. Uh, what it is, um, is the Beaver Trilogy Part 4. It's by um, sort of a local Utah documentarian. I think like a younger guy. This might be his first thing. But th- it's a sort of profile of um, this guy, Trent Harris, who is a indie filmmaker in Salt Lake City, based in Salt Lake City, who's been active for years and years and years. Um, I, you know, I think, I think the thing I wrote up for you guys, I compared him to sort of like Salt Lake city's version of John waters, except much, much less successful. Um, and so, and he, and he basically got his start at this news magazine show called extra that was at, uh, this local, Salt Lake City uh, news station in the early '80s, and that's how that's how we know him because my parents were both uh, both producers at that show as well mm. at that same time. Um, but Trent uh, basically w- Trent made this movie called The Beaver Trilogy, which did which I? Which you lent it to me many I, years yeah. ago, and of course I had to return it. <laughs> yeah, you never watched it, right? Uh, right, because I believe you gave it to me on VHS, and I had a VHS player. Mm-hmm. They're that called VCRs. Oh, pardon me. Yes, yes. VCRs. <laughs> it's weird how that has. Yeah, we, like we all people, forgot they're called that. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but I had a VCR, like a working VCR, when you lent it to me, and then uh, I think it became less reliable. And yeah. I was like, "Am I going to have to buy another VCR?" <laughs> I feel like no. that's going to be a. Even if you spend ten bucks, it's kind of a waste of money. Well, yeah. So you, I wound up having to return it, even well, though I kept it for a long time. It's worth checking out, and I guess bef- I should probably hit pause and just explain what the Beaver trilogy is first, because it plays a big part of of what this documentary is um the beaver trilogy is this it's this feature length thing that's basically three short films jammed together that um trent made uh you know maybe over a 10-year period the first is a documentary about this guy who is known as groovin gary who 
Trent just found in the parking lot at KUTV uh, Channel 2 in Salt Lake one day. Um, and Groovin' Gary was like this just really outgoing, charismatic, just kind of like, aw shucks, lovable, kind of kind of just towny weirdo um, who was obsessed with like Cher and Olivia Newton-John mm-hmm. and wanted to be on TV and be in show business, but was from this like tiny little tiny little hick town in Utah called Beaver. Uh, And so Trent met this guy just sort of serendipitously in the parking lot at the TV station one day and then uh, was like, oh, this this guy's fucking great. And so he followed him back to Beaver um, just to kind of document like what this guy was all about and what his life was like. And Groove and Gary got super excited about – about you know the idea of being on Channel Two and threw together this sort of impromptu talent show at Beaver High School, and it's it, you know it was waiting for Guffman before mm-hmm. before waiting for Guffman, and the climax was uh, was Gary sort of uh, dressing in drag as Olivia Newton Dawn was his character and singing <laughs> an Olivia Newton John song and um, and then. Uh, and so that all happened, and that sort of short documentary never, never, Trent just kind of put it in a drawer and like never did anything with it. Uh, and, and this is all this is all stuff that's covered by the Beaver Trilogy Part Four documentary. So I'm sort mm-hmm. of recapping the stuff that's happening in there. But Trent then, because he wanted to be a filmmaker, came out here to Los Angeles to try his hand at that, and. Uh, one of the thir- first things he did was remake that short documentary called The Beaver Kid um, as uh, as something called The Beaver Kid Part 2 mm-hmm. um, as sort of a just a real low-budget narrative uh, short with um, sort of a pre-Fast Times uh, Sean Penn playing the Groovin' Gary part. Hmm. And then he – so he made that movie – and then also put it in the drawer and never really showed it to anyone. And then went on to uh, study at AFI. And his thesis there was another remake of the same story. Uh, this time it was Crispin Glover playing the lead role. <laughs> so you have these kind of like three short films that are all, are all about an Olivia Newton-John impersonator from <laughs> Beaver, Utah. And one is a documentary about the actual guy. One is, stars Sean Penn and one stars Crispin Glover you know, before any of them did anything. And Trent never did anything with these movies either. He just kind of put them in a, put them in a drawer. Um, and he went on to kind of the biggest thing he ever did was this kind of weird road movie called Reuben and Ed, which I'm not sure if people know about. I don't know. It, it starred Crispin Glover and Howard Howard Hes- Hesseman. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I saw it. Yeah, many uh, years ago. Yeah, that was that was Trent's. That was like Trent's oh, big claim to fame for many years. And I think maybe the thing that's best remembered for in pop culture was: Have you ever seen that clip of um, Crispin Glover like kicking David yeah. Letterman yeah. in the head? Yeah, he's actually in character as uh, Reuben from Reuben and Ed huh. in that movie. So. <laughs> Again, this is all stuff that's in the Beaver Trilogy Part Four documentary. Um, so, so yeah, so the Beaver Trilogy Part Four is basically a documentary about all of this, and and then eventually those three movies were combined and sort of had their kind of own kind of life as as this kind of weird weird sort of cult film. Yeah. Um, but 
but the Beaver Roof trilogy part four is just kind of traces, you know, I would say it traces the life of three things. Uh, Trent Harris, Groove and Gary, like what happened to him after, after this thing had happened with, with Trent and then sort of the life of these three short films themselves, both Mm -hmm. independently and as a, as like a singular, singular unit, which, which, you know, um, you know, there was like a, this American life segment about the Beaver trilogy and it, the Beaver trilogy played at Sundance like 10 years ago. Um, so it's, it's a really, it's a really fascinating story and our modern day Sean Penn or Chris McGlover in the documentary. No, he's, uh, he, I mean, uh, I mean, they don't really go into this in the documentary, but he's, he's estranged from all of those guys for, <laughs> for various, huh. various reasons. And Trent himself is a bit of a, bit of a prickly guy. Um, okay. but you know, it's, it's, it's fun. It was fun for me cause it interviewed a lot of the people Trent used to work at, at this extra show. And I was halfway expecting like my dad to pop up <laughs> at some point. Cause it seems like. Uh, but I, I knew because I know my dad would have mentioned if he had been interviewed for this thing. Right. He never did. But it was like basically every every old like reporter from Utah who'd been at my family's Christmas parties for the uh-huh. last the last 25 years. So hmm. it was fun. Um, let's move on to a film called Fresh Dressed, which sounds fascinating to me. Yeah, this was fun. This was um, th- this was a. It was produced by something called CNN Films, which I is not something I'd been familiar no. with beforehand. So I don't know if it's going to pop up on CNN at some point. But uh, didn't, didn't CNN partially uh, contribute to Blackfish? Was or or did they? Did they I never saw it. Did they like uh, it ended acquire up, it? Ended later. up airing on CNN. So yeah, I don't yeah. know, but I don't know if they produced it or not. I thought, I thought it. I don't remember exactly. Sorry. Go on. Yeah, I mean this. Uh, well, fresh dressed. Um, it's fun. It goes by really fast. It's a documentary about hip hop fashion and kind of just tracing its mm. entire history beginning as sort of a more, uh, DIY street thing. And, you know, early eighties, New York through, through sort of the mid nineties boom where every rapper had like their own, their own like vanity label, uh, and imprint through, sort of more current trends, which are like, uh, you know, street level rappers like Aesop Rocky, who are super into like a Gucci and Versace Uh and stuff and sort of, sort of just charting, charting these trends as they sort of flow in and out of each other and what motivated, what motivated them and sort of like what the implications are. And it's, you know, it's slick. It's got, got, uh, interviews with, you know, uh, uh, Kanye West and other big name design. I don't, I don't live in that world, so I, I can't, I can't pull the <laughs> names of these, of these, uh, these couture, uh, streetwear designers off the top of my head. But yeah, it's, 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 you know, a high profile project, obviously that attracted a lot of like major, uh, major, major uh, names to participate with it, but it, it's good. It's very, it's very just like one one level. You know, which, I mean, which is good because that's all I was prepared to right. engage with. But it's, you know, if, if you've ever been interested in like fat laces on Adidas sneakers and what that's all about, um, that's 
that was that was that movie. Um, it was good. It was a good palate cleanser after the Beaver trilogy, which was a little bit draining emotionally for me mm-hmm. to watch. All right, uh, let's move on to the penultimate film that you saw, which I had assumed was uh, another horror movie, but apparently is not. It's called is it called Terror or T Error? Yeah, and there, there's actually uh, well, there, there's one at, one more after. Oh, penultimate. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. You're using the word properly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's it's. I think it's pronounced just like terror, but it's it's stylized sort of right. annoyingly, where it's like open parentheses T, close parentheses error. So, right. um, and I never I never saw Citizen Four, but I heard a lot of people kind of compare this to Citizen Four mm-hmm. afterwards. Um, and I thought it was a really good, really good, and this, this ended up being like one of my favorite things that I saw while I was out there, but, um, it was a really good, um, documentary about this, uh, FBI informant going after, uh, terror suspects, like Muslim terror suspects, um, and sort of unbeknownst to, his FBI handlers, this guy, his name is Saeed, and I forget if that's actually his real name or if that's just the sort of code name they give him in the movie, but he brings these filmmakers along with him to, uh, along on this mission in Pittsburgh to sort of uh, investigate this, um, this sort of uh, American Muslim guy who the government thinks might be up to no good. So uh, the cameras are just there to kind of watch this whole case sort of come together or not come together or, you know, fudging, fudging things to make it come together. And, uh, it's, you know, it's a really tense sort of, sort of cat and mouse, uh, espionage thing mm-hmm. that's, that's domestic and contemporary and, and real. So it's, uh, I, I thought it was a, a, a really good documentary and then it gets, um, and you know, this, this Saeed guy is sort of this embittered, 50 or 60 something sort of veteran of the black Panthers and the black rights movement and sort of, uh, like, you know, a guy who probably converted to Islam in the sixties hmm. or seventies, who's kind of disillusioned with, with everything post nine 11 and, yeah. you know, just smoking a ton of weed and like, you know, watching Homeland <laughs> in the safe house <laughs> and, and is, is a really sort of, you know, kind of, kind of difficult to, Difficult to sympathize with, but, you know, interesting subject to be at the center of a documentary like this. Uh, and finally, the this is the winner of the Sundance, the next mm-hmm. uh, category. Um, it's called James White, and mm-hmm. it has a cast of HBO All-Stars, Christopher yeah. Evett and Cynthia Nixon. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, you know, I, 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 I'm a big fan of Girls, and I've seen every episode of every season, but yeah. I... I'm a big fan of Cynthia Nixon. Yeah, I am too. And, and so they, and, but I, I, I didn't, I didn't even realize until, until I think after the movie was already done that that was, uh, that it was Charlie from, from girls. Who, when you sent the thing and you had the pictures attached, I was like, what? I know what that guy in there. Yeah, I, yeah. I read it. Yeah. He, he's like just generic looking <laughs> like a hipster dude enough to, to, to sort of, so, so yeah, I, I, I didn't, so I thought he gave a really great performance in this, which is basically, um, a character study about this sort of like 
prick guy in his 20s who is like this rich kid from Manhattan whose dad recently died and his mom, played by Cynthia Nixon, is dying of uh, cancer. And um, I would say the first half of the movie is sort of like a hipster, like bad lieutenant, where it's just like watching this guy like, you know, snort coke and like punch bartenders and stuff. Uh, and then the second half is sort of like a hipster amour where he's just kind of taking, taking <laughs> care of, uh, taking care of Cynthia Nixon as she, uh, you know, is in hospice and is kind of like going South. So, um, it's pretty like, it's pretty like cleanly divided between those two, two halves. Not like there's like a title card in the middle or anything, but, um, it's good. It's got this really like chilly tone. Um, it's, uh, it's the the director it was like a co-producer on like um i'm gonna fuck this up like martha marcy may marlene you got well it done. did i get it okay well yeah. Done. yeah and also simon killer which was another uh, another one of my favorites from a couple of years ago so uh, i don't know if you've seen either of those two movies you kind of get like the vibe of what this little like group did, of new york filmmakers are doing did it deserve to beat tangerine in the, in the next competition i would have gone with tangerine i, I think james white is good but it's not it's not remarkable uh, again this is another thing where it's like i've i've definitely seen things like this at sundance a lot okay. um so i i mean like i said in my write-up i i was glad that this because my ticket on Sunday was for the winner of the next category. And if had it been Tangerine, I would have just like had to, I would have had one less movie to see. So, um, I I think Tangerine is better. Okay. Well, thank you for being, uh, thank you for going to Sundance again for us. Absolutely. I I know you would have gone anyway. Yeah. You've gone every year. Definitely would (laughs) have, but thank you for writing up the films that you saw. Um, and thank you for coming on the show to talk about it. Sorry we had to rush this, but like you said, like we said, we got to get to a ceremony. Yeah. Yes. Um, got to get my spats you're present, on. You're presenting an award. The party bus is pulled up outside. <laughs> yeah. All right. So uh, let's go. Um, thanks for thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. Bye bye.